on the job with Francis Leach and Sally Rugg. Welcome to On The Job, the podcast all about making your working life better. Francis Leach with you in solitude once again. Sally and I live and work in Melbourne, so we just got to the end of another long lockdown, which means hopefully next week we can uh, reconvene and get together once again. I hope you are doing well. Hey, straight out, putting the begging bowl out there. If you love the podcast, you've been listening for a while, we'd love you to give us a review on whatever platform you're listening on. Uh, you know, Tell people um, how much you enjoy the podcast, what you're learning about the world of work from listening, and hope you're having fun along the way. Give us those five stars. It just helps other people find us and spread the uh, information and the inspiration. So get to it if you can. Today's episode is a chat with someone I've wanted to catch up with for a while now, Ed Husick is uh, the member for Chifley in the federal parliament. He was elected in 2010, and he's been one of the more interesting thinkers within Labor ranks over his time in parliament. These days, he's the shadow minister for industry and innovation, which is a really interesting area for us because he spends a lot of time thinking and talking about automation and what it means for the world of work, for the future of jobs, job satisfaction, for communities, and how the world and Australian workers can navigate the inevitable and onwards march of automation, AI, and uh, technology as it comes to dominate our lives. It's a conversation I had with Ed a couple of weeks ago. I hope you enjoyed. Here he is, the Shadow Minister for Industry and Innovation, Labor's member for Chifley, Ed Husick. Ed Husick, welcome to On The Job. How are you? I am very pleased to be here and talking with you. Good to finally catch up to talk about this particular issue about innovation, Mm. automation and the future of jobs. But before we do all that, we need to talk about you. And one of the things we'd like to do on this podcast is ask a a foundation question. What was your first ever Mm -hmm. job and what has been the worst or the hardest ever job you've done? Oh, wow. (laughs) Well, my first ever job for the kids out there was being a milker. Delivering milk. I delivered milk, but I've got to tell you, I didn't do it for too long. <laughs> so this was back in the day, kids, when uh, people used to have milk delivered to their homes in glass bottles left on their front porch, which was a good idea in winter, but always could be touch and go in summer. <laughs> so, yeah. Nice curdling at the top of the glass underneath that silver foil on top of the bottle. And what did we all clamour for underneath that silver foil cap? <laughs> and what was the toughest? The cream. The cream. We wanted the, the cream. cream. <laughs> what was the Always fought with, with siblings for that. <laughs> what was the toughest or the hardest job you've ever had? There have been a number of jobs that have been um, pretty challenging. Uh, headed up my former my, my union. I'm still a proud member of the communications, electrical and plumbing union on the communications side. And at various points, either having to live through, particularly in my younger years, as a union uh, official dealing with these mass retrenchments in Telstra, which seemed you know, years later to be very weird given the way that telecommunications and broadband and digital has grown as a part of our economy, but also postal workers having to live with the impact of that growth of digital um, in an era where you saw mail volumes drop, and also trying to negotiate enterprise agreements in the era of uh, Howard uh, work choices legislation with groups like Australia Post uh, that took full advantage in many respects of those laws. Uh, so dealing with that was pretty tough. And there have been challenges as well as AMP and going through various issues from time to time, being involved in politics. We've lived through a 
fairly tumultuous period. So that's also presented challenges from, from time to time as well. Plenty of challenges ahead. One of them is in the world of jobs, automation and the fact that the way mm. that we work, how we're required to work and the jobs that we might or might not have are changing all the time. And I was looking at the Forrester Report, which is this company that does all these projections about what the future might look like. And one of the reports mm. they did on job market was that by 2030 in Australia, the job market might have shrunk by 11% because of automation. And that means another 1.5 million people out of work. Now, that, they're scary numbers, Ed. Do you share that vision of what Australia looks like? And, and should we be alarmed at the light that's coming down the tunnel at a million miles an hour that's not the light to the future, but a steam train that's going to run us over? As a parliamentarian, like one of my big areas of focus has been around technology and the impact of ways of doing things off a digital platform for many years. Uh, part of the reason was, as I mentioned earlier, you know, in my role as a former union official, I saw this in particular in the communications union, Sunrise, Sunset, in sort of stark terms. There were sort of, if you were in the telecommunications area, you could see that more and more people would depend on those type of services. And that meant that if you were in that, that arena, that you're more likely to get jobs. But also as broadband penetration increased in households, that would put an impact on other people that I was proud to represent, particularly in postal services, because people would be sending less mail. And so the impact of technology on the way that we do things, and in particular in work, has been an interest of mine for quite some time. And so when you quote some of those scary figures, and people can, and the figures jump around uh, as to what the impact of technology is, most people know you can't stop change, but you can plan for it, and you can think about what impact it'll have, and you'll also make sure that you minimise the impact and that everyone gets a good slice of the action if this improves jobs. So in in my role as Shadow Minister for Industry, I've, Francis, been travelling around and just recently was up on the Central Coast visiting a mob called Trendpack. They do a lot of the manufacture of bottles that you would use in your bathrooms or in your laundries. Trendpack has invested heavily in automation, but their workforce has grown. Why? because they freed up some people from doing things, but then they got people to do other things differently and new product lines emerged. And so what this means is that, you know, if it's thought through, you can see stronger employment and more fulfilling work as a result. But the test has got to be that we're thinking ahead as a group, business, workers, government, academia, we're working together to make sure everyone benefits and it's not just a few. So automation... It's not a binary choice, automation or jobs. You can have both, but it's going to take a lot of work. But with Australia being the country that we are with what I like to call the primary resources mentality, that if we don't or can't dig it up and put it on a ship and send it away or see it walking in a paddock to put on a, a truck to put on a ship to send it away, we're not that interested. We don't trust it. We're suspicious of it. How do we break the cultural hold that that psychology has over the way that we imagine our future as an economy and also as workers? It's understandable we've had a lot of emphasis on mining and agriculture in this country just because it's generated so much in terms of wealth and jobs for so long. So totally get that. And they have had to change too. Bear in mind when we're talking about automation, manufacturing, agriculture through the 50s, 60s, went through massive waves of automation. They're still thinking differently about how to get things done using technology. So they're very uh, understanding about its impact, but 
If you look at, for example, what some people consider the complexity of individual economies, you look at Australia, we are very focused on these big sectors. There is a, a case to be made about broadening with how we make money and how we do things. And governments can actually help through what they say and what they do to change that. You know, my concern has been that innovation and the focus on how we do things differently and how we create wealth differently uh, through innovation, that's waxed and waned, particularly under the, the coalition. One minute they're interested in it, one minute they're not. I have to say I was horrified to hear a prime minister say, and as we had in Scott Morrison earlier this year, that what we need to do when it comes to technology is adopt the technology that other people are using very quickly. Now, I've, I, and I suspect a lot of people who may be listening to this podcast, strong believers in the power of Australian know-how and ideas. We have had to be clever as a nation, either our First Nations people or the people that came to settle here over many generations. Uh, we have got a lot of smarts and we should back that in. And we do need to have a government say that, you know, we want to be ahead of the curve. We're thinking about the future. We're thinking about the type of jobs that we need to be prepared for. We need to prepare people for yeah, now and into the future, and we can do this as a nation, and we can back our smarts in. Uh, but that takes a lot of work, and you need to have a government that actually believes in its people and is on the side of its people to do that. Let's talk about the shift that would be required for us to adapt to an, a new environment where automation becomes a big part of the economy, a huge part of the economy, but we want to grow some jobs for people that are meaningful, secure, well-paid mm. jobs, the sort of things that we as unionists want to see. There are going to be people who are going to struggle with that shift, with that change, because it requires mm. a level of training and education that is either cost prohibitive or not available. How do we make that transition without a, a huge toll on working people who for generations have might have worked in factories or might have worked in industries that are going mm. to be replaced by automation? And again, I've seen that some businesses do think about how uh, they can work with their workforce on that issue. I have to say, while I do respect the role of reskilling and education in helping people prepare, I also make this point, particularly with business, and a lot of businesses are thinking about this issue and business leaders that I deal with are thinking about this issue. This is as much about reskilling as it is about the way in which business does this. And if they think ahead and if they plan and if they work with their workforce on this and that workers are not treated as expendable, the biggest, most important point I make to businesses is they cannot make their workforce be treated as expendable and not benefit out of automation uh, as well. And by that, I mean, if a, if a business operates smarter, if, they, if their profits improve as a result of that investment, that they share that as well. And we do have to have a hard conversation about why wages aren't increasing as businesses are getting more efficient. I don't think that's a technology thing. I think that is a people thing. That is an issue about how we reward people for the process of investment, improving the way that businesses operate and the profitability they secure. So yes, we do need to train people up. Yes, we do need to make sure that their skills are current and that they're moving with the times. We need business to think about when they use technology to improve the way they work, how that has an impact on people and how they benefit from it. And there are some businesses internationally that as they automate, they make a commitment to keep people on to ensure that they are not just fired as a result of changing processes and they find new work and new roles to keep people employed. And I think if Australian businesses aren't thinking ahead about how they'll use them, we don't really rank favourably relative to 
uh, businesses overseas about announcing what we'll do in investing in technology and making sure we follow through on it. I do worry that some businesses will play catch-up, onboard new technology, they'll dislocate their workforce, and that will be a bigger political and community problem down the track. So thinking ahead, working together, I think that makes a difference. Because a lot of people will be very concerned that all business will do is use automation as a way to reduce labour costs, which means losing jobs and replacing people with machines. spot on. And that's the thing we need to avoid. And I think we can avoid it, and I have faith that we can do it. But we do need to have that active discussion around it. But where are we talking about it? Well, when you think about it, other than us talking about it, I'm I'm so glad that you're raising this as an issue for this podcast, but this needs to be a wider discussion in the community. And it can't be one that's just driven from a perspective of fear, but I think people are a lot more comfortable if they know that people in positions of responsibility, and not just in the world of politics, but in business as well, um, are responding to the concerns that are raised legitimately by many unions on this issue and that it's not that technology is going to be good for profits, bad for jobs. It should be good for both. And I don't think that's pie in the sky. I think that can be achievable and we should have a determination to get to that point. Ed, let's look at some of the areas where there might be opportunity at the moment to start to get in on the ground floor. Blockchain fascinates me. I don't know enough about it, but I know it's Mm. the future. So I've got this vague idea that this thing is the way the world is going to be, but I've got no idea what it is. Tell me, is there an opportunity here for those that are smart enough to understand how this works for Australia to be involved in what will be you know, an automated industry that provides jobs? With blockchain itself, it sort of came out as a result of Bitcoin. They needed to be able to, on this digital currency, uh, work out who owns what and if it's passed or changed hands, like how did that happen, who got it, you know, that there is a transparent open ledger. You know, we use ledgers and accountants would be very familiar with this of keeping track of what you've got and what you've traded and, and the like. And blockchain as a distributed ledger allows people to keep track in a way that previously hadn't occurred and it can allow for uh, wealth to be transferred direct between people as they describe it peer-to-peer. And it's sort of caused some concern in financial services sectors because it will, in many respects, cut out the middle guy or middle middle woman. Uh, but it's also been used to track other assets, not just in terms of financial, but you know other countries have used it in terms of keeping track of the assets that they possess in public transport or agricultural purposes have been to keep track of cattle and the way that they're treated in the supply chain. So it's, it is going to change the way things are done. Even our stock exchange is looking in Australia to use blockchain uh, as the platform to replace an old trading platform that they use with a new one and to give people a lot more security about how it is. But in the federal government context, I pushed for them to, as a you know, shadow ministerial role I held previously, I pushed them to look at how they could use blockchain at a federal government level and they put $700,000 aside to do that. They spent $200,000 to generate a report to say, we don't need blockchain, we've got other ways of of doing what blockchain does. And, I mean, you've identified rightly that this is becoming an emerging tech that we should use, and I think it's it's something that we should uh, be looking to embrace and uh, use more because business is starting to do it. Why isn't government? Renewable energy is the other big one, and it's been tracked mm. in this stasis around energy policy and climate wars and the culture wars for so long. The jobs are waiting there to be built if we're smart enough. Have, mm. have we missed the boat on this? I think there is a risk that we will, but it's not. I don't think things are permanent, but 
I did earlier in the year ask the question, why aren't we building electric vehicles in Australia? If you look at electric vehicles and compare them to internal combustion engines, the complexity is completely different. It's less complex. If you look at the rare earths that we have here in this country that we're shipping off so someone else can refine them and put them into value-added processes that they then sell back to us. We've got the sort of muscle memory of, of car manufacturing in this country. We've got the fourth largest savings pool on the planet for superannuation. We've got tech skill in this country. And other countries are thinking now about reinvigorating car making within their nations. And yet Australia isn't thinking about it. In fact, we had a, a prime minister who at the last election said that the more people use electric vehicles will lead to the end of the weekend and the tradies wouldn't be able to get their utes. While Volvo, over in another part of the planet, is looking to build some of the biggest electric propelled vehicles as trucks, and Tesla are looking to do the same thing themselves, and we're being left behind. So we should, in terms of renewable energy, be looking at, particularly around battery manufacture, the other forms of production that could emerge as a result of that, how we get on top of those things present an opportunity for us that uh, you know, we do look to miss. And it really does take a government to be mature enough to recognise the value of this longer term. So a return to a car industry, an electric car industry, gives us a, a sort of substantial industrial base, which we don't currently have, as we discovered mm. during the, the pandemic, which has its own strategic issues, which are quite scary. And it helps totally. us contribute to a greener economy and uh, reduce emissions. What would be the reason yeah. why we are not moving this way? There must be a reason, there must be an incentive for the government not to be taking this move, or is it purely ideological? Because this government does not believe... They can talk about manufacturing now, but they neglected it for the bulk of their time in office. They don't have the heart for this. They don't believe in, in Australian manufacturing. They see it as a political line to be expressed, but not something as policy that should be pursued wholeheartedly. This is my big issue with the coalition and manufacturing. And in terms of emerging manufacturing and what can be done here, you know, this really does need to be pursued with some gusto because it will provide jobs for a wide range of people who uh, you were talking earlier about training and reskilling. You know, with some of that can provide a long-term future for people in the workforce now and for their kids into the future. And we should be looking to do it. But instead, we've had game playing, ideological game uh, playing by the coalition at the federal level Whereas in the States, regardless of political hue, they're thinking about this. They're thinking about how they can generate jobs and strengthen industry uh, through what can be done in the renewable space. And I just think uh, if you haven't got a government that has got the wherewithal to drop the ideology, think practically and invest, uh, I do worry longer term about what that means for employment and industry here. You know, in the climate change and energy field, uh, my friend and colleague Chris Bowen and I do talk about this and we are thinking about this and we are talking with people about what can be done uh, in this realm and hopefully we'll be in the near future announcing initiatives that we think uh, can help advance this. Just to finish, Ed, people mm. who have seen what automation has done or have had a, a glimpse of it through the tech giants, for instance, who have made jobs, yeah. zero-hour contracts, or you're in the gig economy, uh, you've got no entitlements, you're not a member of a union, you're being paid job by job, out, you know, minute by minute virtually, are genuinely afraid of automation and this kind of change. How hard is it going to be to convince ordinary Australians and workers that they can have a secure future 
future, a decent job with the entitlements that they should have in, so they can live you know, a good life with their families in security and not be afraid that automation means more of living on the margins? I think people generally with technology, and Australians have been recognised long-term as embracing technology a lot quicker than others. So people get the value of technology in changing the way we live and we work. A lot of the downsides of what's happened with technology, you know, we should always look at technology as a tool. It's not like some panacea. It's designed to improve the way we live and work. The downsides come from the way people apply it and whether or not they've thought through the impacts. And so we've seen a hell of a lot of money and wealth be generated out of technology, and that's been privately held, but then the impacts have had to be socialised so that governments pick up the tab. I am not a fan of this. And I've said to the sector, you know, as much as I'm a believer in them, that they do need to think that through. And the business, I think, you know, the reward function in our economies either here or overseas, when we've looked at what's happened with technology, you know, people will say, for instance, well, the key to productivity is use technology more. I think we have done that for quite some time. And this idea that productivity and wages are linked, this notion, this has been busted for years. The application of technology to boost productivity has been there for a while, and yet we've seen wages hardly move. Why? Because business has not wanted to open up uh, and pay people better. And we have a basically a a malfunctioning bargaining system in terms of industrial relations in this country where the benefit is not flowing through. And at the same time, we've seen profits up, senior exec remuneration up, investors well rewarded. We cannot have this longer term continue and then expect that people will be happy with our economic circumstances. And this is what's driven a large level of discontent in most Western economies because the reward system is basically bung. It's just not working. So if we are serious about technology and we're serious about benefit and we're serious about having sharper businesses, we've also got to be serious about the way we share the benefit and that's got to be addressed longer term. It's not just an issue of, of technology. It's an issue about the mindset of business and industry to ensure that everyone gets a, a better share of the benefit. Ed Yusik, thank you so much for being on the job. My very great pleasure. This is On The Job with Francis Leach and Sally Rung. Ed Jusic there, the member for Chifley in the Federal Parliament for the Labor Party and the Shadow Minister for Industry and Innovation, speaking with me here on the job, talking about automation, its challenges, but also the enormous opportunities it offers Australia and Australian workers if we're prepared to be bold, take a few risks and challenge ourselves to rise to what will be a different way of working, a different way of thinking in the 21st century. Thanks to Ed for making himself available, and hopefully we can have another conversation with him again soon. That's it for this week's edition of On The Job. Hope you're well. Thank you for uh, being with us. Don't forget, as I said, give us a review if you can. If you are in a job and you're not a member of a union, ask yourself why. Check out Australian Unions online and uh, find the union that is most prevalent in your particular sector and become involved because change only happens when each of us makes a decision to take part. So join your union and we'll catch you next week here on The Job. Bye for now.